Well, I laughed at that way too hard at home multiple times. I showed my wife and she was like, really? It's like, yes. My favorite part is like, where's my stuff going? <laughs> Hits his head on the wall. <laughs> but I think it's funny because like, I can relate to a lot of this stuff. Like if you know me, if you've been around me enough, this is a typical day for me. <laughs> it's like, how does this stuff happen? But, uh, but no, I'm excited today. I thought it'd be uh, fitting. We just finished up a series on, uh, you know, catch the vision or own the vision. And so this was kind of a free Sunday. And so thinking of Thanksgiving, I thought it was only fitting to kind of focus on what we should be thankful for. And what I want to focus on today is the, thing we sh- the one thing we should be thankful for more than anything else. And so if you're like me, we all have family traditions that you grew up doing. And uh, one thing my mom always used to do, which I thought was crazy, you know, but at around Thanksgiving is when she wanted us to give the Christmas list, like the stuff that we wanted. But before we could do that, we had to give her a list of the 10 things we were thankful for. And we're thinking, like, Mom, come on. Like, that's so weird, you know. But we'd do it. And then one thing that she still does, and then we'll do again this Sunday or uh, this uh, Christmas, is before we open presents, when everybody gets together, my mom makes a cake, and we sing happy birthday to Jesus. And as corny as that sounds, like, the kids get it. It's Jesus' birthday, so we sing happy birthday. And I remember growing up thinking, like, okay, but now I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate just the the little things that she tried to do to make sure that our perspective was in the right place. And so as I was preparing this, I, God just kind of took me to 1 Corinthians 15. As I started thinking through this, I started thinking of things that me and my wife do for Marcus and like to try to teach him on, on how to value things. And so ever since we got him, every night we'd pray and we'd go through the things that we're thankful for. And we'd pray for our family and for our, you know, our, our friends and the house and clothes and food and all these different things. And as I started thinking about it this week... It, it kind of struck me that though I do thank God that he loved me and sent Jesus, it's usually one of the last things I say. And if I'm honest, there's times that I don't say it at all to him. And it really hit me because I do value it. And it is the thing that I'm most thankful for than anything else. And I was talking to Seth this week, and we kind of talked. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like that over-spiritual thing, right? But because we've trained ourselves that way, it's the thing that we don't talk about as much. And so it challenged me this week to start taking a little bit more intentional approaches to what I'm teaching my son. And so the first thing that we say is, God, thank you for loving us enough to send your son to save us. And I've noticed that now he prays that. He always says, thank you that Jesus loves me. And then we go through all the other things. And and again, there's nothing wrong. And there's also, I'm not trying to say that if you don't say that first, you're somehow creating, like that's not it. But if it is the thing that we're most thankful for, and if it is the thing that we're most passionate about, that will come out above anything else. And I think too often... It kind of slips down here. And we start to value the things that God has given us on top of salvation. And then when those things get taken away, we question God. When in reality, salvation is the thing that we should be so thankful for. And then above and beyond, we have these things that get taken away or not. It doesn't change the fact that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. And so today, that's what I want to focus on. And so we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 15. And there's three things that I think that God or that Paul shows us in this of why we shouldn't take it for granted, why we should be thankful for our salvation. But I want you to bear with me a little bit, too. I've told a few people already. I'm not as, I'm getting more nervous now, but I wasn't as nervous as typical, and I have less notes than I've ever had. So I don't know if this is good or bad. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to take some time, and we're going to, it'll all tie together, I promise. But we're really going to dig into some stuff, because I think if we're honest, when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, we can blow through some stuff that's really deep, and yet we don't take the time to see the depth of it. And so we're going to do that today. So 
If you have your Bibles with you, or pull it up on your phone, it'll be on the screen as well. But let's stand together in honor of God's Word. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, let's start with verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. And God, I pray today that you would reveal to us from your word the importance of our salvation. And God, I pray that it wouldn't be that over-spiritual thing when we think of what you did on the cross. But God, it would be the thing that we live for, the thing that we're most thankful for, and the thing we never take for granted. Be with us now. Speak to our hearts. Open our minds to your word, God. And I just want to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we see here, and again, I'm, just to give you a heads up, there's three points. The first one's going to take a little while. But the other two are going to be quicker, so don't panic. And everything may be way quicker, because again, I have less notes, so I don't know. So the first thing that we see here is that we shouldn't take our salvation for granted because it is necessary. It is necessary for us to inherit the kingdom of God. It's necessary for us to go to heaven. So look back at verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, for us to fully understand this, this is where we're going to really start diving in. We've got to back up. All of chapter 15, Paul is talking about something. And he's talking about something that obviously the church is struggling with. We know that the disciples struggled with at the beginning. We know all throughout history people have struggled with. And so I can only imagine that we struggle with it or we know people that struggle with it. And it's the resurrection of Jesus. And you're going to see how this is completely tied to our salvation. Um, so if we go back... And we look at verse 15, or chapter 15. Let's look at verse 3. So Paul's coming to him. He wrote this letter. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And now he's going to list three things that are the gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What we're going to drive in right now is what is the gospel. And there's three things to the gospel. Because a lot of times, you know, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe, you know, whatever. But to say you believe in Jesus and to actually believe in Jesus are radically different. We're going to see that in Scripture. And there's three things that when you say you believe in Jesus that you actually have to believe in order to be saved according to the Bible. The first one is that Christ died for our sins. And if Christ died for our sins, that implies that He came and He lived, therefore He died. But it also implies that He was sinless so He could be the spotless Lamb and that He bore our sins on our behalf. The second is that Christ was buried you know, his, the burial was important. He didn't just, you know, pay for sins and then go to hell. Like, he died. He physically died. He, he had a human body that died. 
Yet he was sinless because he was God. And then this is the most important thing. And a lot of people, and this is, and maybe you've never heard this, but so I want to equip you in case you do, because you will. The last one is the most important one, and yet many people struggle with it. Many people don't believe it. And is that Christ rised on the third day? Now there's proof of this, and Paul goes on because, again, you know, there, he told him this, and you're going to read, if we read down further, he's like, I don't know why you're thinking this, that it didn't happen. I've already told you this. But after he says he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, in verse 5 it says, And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So what Paul is saying is the resurrection, we have proof of that. And he says there's, there's, most of these brothers are still alive. What's he telling them? Go ask them. They're still alive. They saw it you know, firsthand. I saw Jesus, he says later on. But here's the reality. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are not saved. And if that stings, I'm okay with that because I don't want you to be those that we find in Matthew 24 that come to the throne at judgment, tell God all that they've done for him, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I'm going to prove this to you because there's going to be people who say the resurrection doesn't matter. When I first heard that, I was shocked. I remember my professor said he had a professor that said the resurrection didn't exist, doesn't matter, it doesn't change anything. I remember thinking to myself, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Like, that's what the Bible, I don't understand. But then remember the disciples after Jesus died. Remember, they're the ones that walked and talked with Jesus, right? And then he, Mary's like, hey, he's risen from the grave. They're like, yeah, whatever. Then he appears to some, and Thomas like, I'd have to actually see it and touch him myself. The disciples struggled with this. And then clearly, a church that Paul started struggled with this. And so again, you and I might struggle with this, or we might know somebody, but here's the fact. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he says he is, and I want to prove that to you now. So when you say you believe in Jesus... You must mean that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I said before, you can't just say, I believe in Jesus and not believe that God raised him from the dead. They go hand in hand. To believe in Jesus means that you believe everything about Jesus. The fact that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. So if he was, if he was raised from the dead, it implies, according to Romans 10, 9, if he was raised from the dead, he had to have died. But he couldn't have died in sin because Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of sin is death. So his death must have happened the way the Bible said, which is a shocker, I know. But it means that he died sinless. It means that he offered himself on our behalf. And the resurrection is what proves that. So I'm going to ask you, is the resurrection important? And again, we're going to tie this back into why this is so significant. But the resurrection is extremely important and the most important thing because of Romans 1.4. It should be on the screen. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. So how was Jesus declared to be the Son of God? By His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, think about this. The punishment of sin is death. If Jesus just came and was just a prophet of God and just lived the life that you and I are to model and then died then he, he was a sinner, obviously, and he was no different than us. He was no different than any other prophet that came before him. He was no different than any apostle or disciple. But Jesus was different. And if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to believe in what makes him different, and that's the resurrection. Paul goes on here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, because after he asked them, if I've told you this, that he's risen from the dead, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And in verse 17, Paul makes it plain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we of all people are most to be pitied. 
Without the resurrection, there's nothing. Because without the resurrection, Jesus is not the Messiah. And without the resurrection, He can't save us. But verse 20 here, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To be saved, we must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now this is why our salvation and resurrection are key, because it, it is, we're going to see here the completed work of Jesus. So I think a lot of times we separate these two things because they haven't happened all at once. So we believe that Jesus saved us, and then because we haven't been resurrected a new body yet, we somehow forget that that will happen, and it has to happen. So our, the resurrection of Jesus is what saves us, but it's our hope that we will be resurrected, because as Paul says, without it we can't inherit the kingdom of God. If you look back at verse 50, remember, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul questions their logic here. So he's saying, if you're saying he hasn't resurrected, and you can't inherit the kingdom of God this way, I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, how, how could you not believe in this? And I, and I want to clarify, too, some people will say, well, yeah, in heaven you're just spirit and all that stuff, and so your bodies can't inherit. But Jesus had a resurrected body. We're told that we're going to have a body, yet this body can't make it there. But it isn't like you have to do something to get there. The saving work of Jesus allows that to happen as well. So, and I just want to build on that a little bit. We know that we still struggle with sin, right? And as Christians, it's the worst thing that we have to deal with. Our heart desires to follow God, yet we still struggle with sin. And it kills us. Because the God who gave everything for us and has given us a way, you know, He wants us to be obedient, and yet we, for some reason, continue to fight this. And so I want to give you a little bit of confidence that you're not alone in this. It doesn't make it okay, but you're not alone. Romans chapter 7. Some debate that this section here Paul's talking about before he was saved. We don't have time to get into that, but I can prove that that's not the case to you if you want to talk about it later. So Paul here in Romans chapter 7 verse 22 is talking as a Christian. And look what he says. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And look what he says in verse 25. I love this because it's very similar to what he said in 1 Corinthians. He says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the, serve the law of sin. Paul's making it very clear. I want to, my inner being... The saved, you know, when I believed in Jesus and God saved me, I desire to follow him. I desire to be obedient to him. Yet my body, which is still cursed, wants to fulfill the pleasures of itself. And so you can see the problem with this. This body can't make it to heaven. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, your belief in Jesus, and if he didn't, it's nothing. You can't get there with this body. But Christ has been raised. And he promises that we will as well. I want to talk more a little bit about the curse. If we look down in Romans 8, I think a lot of us, I know for me personally, this caught me off guard because I, I never saw this before. We know that all of creation is cursed. We know that all of creation is groaning. But look what Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul's clearly described this body has to change. But again, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, for one, you're not saved. And then where does that leave you? Because you know you're not good enough to get there. This body can't make it there. And if there's no resurrection, where does that leave us? If we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul continues a little bit further here in verse 50, uh, 52. Um, sorry, in verse uh, 53. For the perishable body must, not, must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. Again, there's a, there's a necessity that our salvation provides that we, our bodies have to change. And I love how he says when this takes place, it's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Again, it's not that you get saved and then somehow you work on perfecting this body. Christ has done it all. And when he returns, that salvation that you have in him, he's going to perfect this in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and allow you to inherit kingdom of heaven. But I love your quotes, uh, Hosea, as well as Isaiah, when he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This should, this should encourage us like no one's business. I mean, the fact that though we struggle now, that Christ has already made a way, and, we, and our belief in him has guaranteed that. Death doesn't have a grip on us anymore. So we should never take our salvation for granted because it is necessary for us to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Again, again just so we're clear, if you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, you do not believe in Jesus, and you are not saved. And I want to give you guys confidence that if someone disagrees, on what authority do they disagree with that? Because we're accountable to God. And that's what his word says. And that's what he demands. The second thing we see here is we shouldn't take our salvation for granted because it is a gift, a free gift. Meaning you didn't earn it and you definitely don't deserve it. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that all throughout the Bible, there's no reason for us to brag in anything. God has given us this stuff. And we're going to see here that it comes through grace. Paul's also, I've, I've stuck with, I wanted to stay with Paul through all this stuff and all his letters, so we can be confident in our interpretation. Paul uses the same phrase. He talks about the same thing over and over and over again. Um, So if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, a verse that we're very well familiar with. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This, uh, This passage, I've debated, let's say that. Some have been arguments, but with a lot of people about this. And the key thing we need to understand here is that you are saved by grace through faith. So what is grace? And it should be on the screen here. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. The opposite of that is mercy, where you don't get what you do deserve. And I want you to look at the beautiful thing that God does for us. We know that our sin deserves death, according to Romans 6.23. We deserve to be punished for our sin, but yet God showed mercy when he didn't give us what we deserved. And then he turned right around and showed us grace by sending his son and giving us eternal life, something we don't deserve. It's a beautiful thing. Grace is freely given. If we look at 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul also says, Who saved us and called us to the holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, this, this calling, this, the salvation that we have, we didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. Christ freely gave it to us. And isn't that, doesn't that change how we view things? You know, if you bust your tail to get something, you're not necessarily as grateful for the person who gave it to you because that's yours. You earned that. But when you don't do anything to get it, and in fact, when the harder you try, you can't get even close to it, and they freely give it to you, it changes how we should view that. But if it's not clear enough, Romans eleven six, Paul says, but if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Again, if you could earn it or you somehow deserved it, then it's not grace because grace is getting something you don't deserve. 
A lot of people flirt with this, and they look at this here, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're saved by faith and works. You're saved by faith, but you have to do these things. And they miss the key word, grace. You're saved by faith, believing in Jesus Christ. That faith is what saves you only because God gives you something you don't deserve. But you can't add works to it and pretend like you earned it again. That's not how this works. And therefore, we should never take it for granted because it was freely given to us. So the last thing I want us to see here is that our salvation sustains us in this life. That should be a very comforting thing for us. Look at verse 58. Paul says, Therefore, after everything I just said, the fact that we know where we're going because of the resurrection of Jesus and knowing that we will be resurrected as well, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This verse was really difficult for me once I started to study it. And it's funny because it started to reveal to me the, the way that we should study things. So when we read this, we're like, yeah, our labor's not in vain in the Lord. And we start thinking, we might think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to keep serving, keep plugging away, keep doing my thing. But obviously if it starts to rob my joy, I'm going to have to do something with that. And I'm not making fun. That's me. That's who I am. And I hate it. But if I'm being honest, I will do whatever I can until it inconveniences me. And then I don't really want to do it anymore. I don't care what the work is. I think that's the natural side of us. Like, I want to serve Jesus as long as it's good for me. And this is where I think our English language can hold us up a little bit. We need to really dig in because we need to understand how the Corinthians would have understood this verse. And it's going to change our understanding here in just a second. So when Paul says that knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, the word for labor, so the labor, like doing the work of the Lord, the labor, that word in the Greek is kopos. Other English words they could have used is trouble, toil, weariness, fatigue. The actual definition of that word, listen to this. A strike or blow that is so hard, it seriously weakens or debilitates. It is deep fatigue and extreme weariness. So how the Corinthians would have understood this verse because it was written in the Greek for them. As Paul saying, stand firm knowing that in the Lord, getting struck so hard that it debilitates you and causes deep fatigue and extreme weariness, know that it's not in vain. Where this gets hard is that everyone agrees that this is of great encouragement to the Corinthians. Yet it doesn't sound that good to us, does it? In fact, it discourages us sometimes to know that it could get that bad. And I can't help but wonder is... Why do we view it that way, you know? It's because we've never experienced that kind of stuff. We've dealt with some stuff. I mean, we've all had issues. But how that's described, and yet that would give them great encouragement that going through all of this, it's not in vain. I wonder if our view of the Bible, that God's always out there just to make everything perfect for us, which is not what the Bible teaches, does that affect our such little faith that we have in Him when things don't go right? Jesus himself is the one who said that in this world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But yet again, we think tribulation is my car didn't start Sunday, you know, or whatever. These people are living something we, you and I have never experienced. And when they hear that it's not in vain, they rejoice in that. I could argue, too, that the Bible teaches that when you're on the mountaintop of life, that when you're up there and everything's just perfect, that you should expect to get pushed off that mountain, head over heels down in that valley, and you shouldn't question God for that. Because we live in a sin-sick world, we are cursed ourselves, and we're constantly battling spirits beyond our eyesight, right? 
You should not be shocked when things don't go well, but you should take comfort in the fact that your salvation guarantees that you will be home one day with him. You know, it's funny, we always run to Revelation 21.4 that says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And this, this verse makes us feel great. Let's leave it up and just look at this for a second. It makes us feel great, and it should. But again, look at it. What is it saying? Until he comes, what are we going to experience? Tears, death, mourning, crying, pain. Why are we so shocked when this happens? Instead, this verse should bring us encouragement, knowing that in Christ, this will all get taken away. One day, it's all going to go away, but it's not today. And in God's sovereignty, that's how it is. And don't, and, and I, you go to First Peter, and Jesus talks about this, or Peter talks about it. God's not slow the way we count it. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. We have a job until that comes. But don't be shocked when the world knocks you down because he says it's going to happen. But take heart because in Christ, it's all going to end one day, and it will not be in vain. So knowing that the day hasn't happened yet, as Paul said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team to come up. And I want everybody just to kind of bow our heads. I want to reflect on this for a minute. Because maybe you're like me. Maybe when we think of our salvation, when we think of the gift that Christ has given us, if we're honest, we've grown numb to it at times. It's lost its meaning. Yeah, we value it and we're so thankful for it. But how quick are we to question God's loving and His goodness when the other things that He's blessed us with, He takes away? I think of Job, you know, who lost everything, his possessions, his buildings, his servants, and all that. Oh, and yeah, his ten kids all on the same day. And yet his response was he fell down, says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Abraham, who waits on this promise forever, and then God gives him the son, and he says, all right, Abraham, now go sacrifice him. It says Abraham got up early in the morning and set out to do it. We shouldn't take our salvation for granted. Christ has promised that one day all this is going to be taken care of. We can trust Him. And don't be shocked when things don't go our way now. We still live in a sin-cursed world. And like we read in Romans, we're waiting for that day. And that should bring us great encouragement. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now that Your Word would just sink into us. That, God, You would challenge us to press in on some of the things that are a little bit more difficult. God, it's natural for us to want things easy. It's natural for us to want things to go well. But it's also natural for us to sin. And God, we need to be open to, your, to what you've said in your word. And God, though it's, we hate it, though the, the things are difficult, and sometimes it just doesn't seem worth it, God, remind us that you are worth it. You are in control. And you do have a plan that will come to pass. And God, I pray right now that if there's somebody in this room that has struggled with the resurrection, that doesn't believe in you as Lord and Savior, and believe that you, God's raised you from the dead, God, I, I pray that you would just open their eyes to the gospel. And God, if they try to run, I, I pray that you haunt them until they turn to you. God, it's your desire that none should perish, but ever, everyone come to everlasting life. And we get the awesome privilege to proclaim your word and to share that with them. 
God, be with us now as we respond in song, as we respond to the greatest gift ever given. God, I pray that we go into this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas with a new shed light on what you've given us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.